stand-up comic joke it up one time. Funny. This is the podcast, Let's Talk About Sets, where we listen to stand-up comedy and talk about the finger quotes science and no finger quote craft behind it. I am your type A host, Jeff McBride, and this is Harrison Tweed. I'm Harrison Tweed. He is type B. And let's get started by listening to Cat Slash Ghost by Nick Swardson from his 2007 album, Party. What else? My house is haunted. That's true, it sucks. The worst part about it is that the ghost has gas. <laughs> Dude, I cannot sleep. Every night it's just like... Excuse me! And he floats away. I'm like, it's too late, ghost. <laughs> There's a really good chance that's the stupidest joke you'll ever hear (laughs) in your lifetime. (laughs) And you heard it here. What's up? (laughs) What else? I have a cat. Just cool. Sucks right now. My cat's sick. He has diarrhea. Which, not cool. I had to take him to the vet. And the vet's like, well, what have you been feeding him? And I was like, diarrhea. (laughs) That's my favorite joke. I always like that joke because I always like an audience's reaction to it. Like, you guys laughed for the most part. But, like, some audiences be like, oh. Oh. Like, it's obviously a joke. And I told that joke on TV once, and they couldn't air it that segment of the joke because after I told it a woman stood up in the second row after I told that joke and went that's not a nice thing to do to your cat asshole (laughs) (laughs) I just looked at her I'm like it's not a fucking true story like who thinks that's real like I'm at home with a bowl of diarrhea like eat it kitty eat it the joke has to be real I can't tell eat the diarrhea Ghost, please. Please, ghost. Hmm. Just jokes. Awesome. Uh, That was picked by our guest, Brandon Scott Wolf, who... uh, Go ahead and say hi, Brandon. Hi. How's it going? Thank you for having me. Uh, I love that bit. I think it is hysterical for several different reasons, most of which... uh, are you know it's one reason it's just a jokes he says it at the end nick swartzen literally ends that two and a half minute rant about ghosts farting and feeding his cat diarrhea and just ends with the two words it's just jokes and why does that speak to you so much what is what is what about that comedy it is used for a lot of things social change it's used uh to you know break out of your shell 
you can use comedy at a party to say, hi, this is me. Everyone, you know, likes to think that they're funny or, you know, I've never met a person who doesn't think they're bored. Like you meet people and everyone's <laughs> like, oh, I'm the funniest person in the world. And it's not until you get on stage and you find out, oh, I'm not funny that you realize you're not funny. But when you meet a person at a party, everyone thinks that they are funny. You also might have uh, a different slice of the population that you engage with just because of what you do. You might be a little by because like I, I know people who say, who go, I'm not funny. I'm just not. I, I've heard that. Yeah, uh, I engage with lunatics. Yeah. Okay. Like you guys. You guys are <laughs> yeah, out of your mind. <laughs> crazy people. But it is used for a lot of uh, different reasons. Um, but what about him specifically saying this is this is just jokes? Uh, what is that? Why does that make you like it so much? I think that there's an element of stand-up comedy that appeals to me where you can present yourself as a storyteller. You can present yourself as someone who is going to make a difference in the world. Or you can present yourself as a buffoon on stage who knows why they're there. Uh-huh. You can go on stage and say, hey, there's no fourth wall anymore. I'm just going to tell you jokes. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of comedy out there that is political. Mm-hmm. And it's you're on the left side or you're on the right side or you're in the middle somewhere. And you're trying to win over an entire room of people that will have a different mindset than you. And I don't look at it as left and right because I'm not a political comedian in that sense. I'm a comedian who tells jokes. Mm-hmm. And my jokes may be silly. My jokes may be off the beaten path. They might be considered absurd even. And I want to win everyone over whether your disposition when it comes to comedy is, yes, I want to embrace the madness. I want to embrace the, the strangeness. I want to hear something different. Yeah. So for you, when you get on stage, what you're trying to say is, I am going to entertain you. That is why I'm here. And for you, what, what you're saying is that there are, you're trying to uh, draw a clear line between you, and, and Nick does this, right, in this bit, when he says this is just jokes, you're trying to draw a clear line between you and the people who are there to make a point. Yes, I... I think that it's very important to have comedy that speaks volumes about who you are as a person, where you're, you're going, what you're doing, mm-hmm. uh, what you want to change, the change you want to see in this world. I think it's a mm-hmm. great platform for people to make a difference. Mm-hmm. I don't do that with my comedy. <laughs> I, am, I am a person who is not making a difference in this world at all. <laughs> I am filler. I am filler. I am filler. It's a great comedy album name. I am filler. If you if you look or, at wait uh, wait wait that might be the quote for the episode. We'll, we'll see if there's a better yeah, one. But yeah. so far, put I am it, filler. Put it on my tombstone. <laughs> I am filler. Here lies Brandon Scott Wolf. You're the person. If Bill Hicks and Sam Kennison are on the same show, they put you in between them to like change. You the are the comedy equivalent of packing peanuts. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am there to make sure that nothing is damaged. <laughs> And everyone at the end of the day goes home saying, oh, nice. My grandfather clock didn't get smashed during the move. That's me. It's precious. I believe in my grandfather clock. I'm packing peanuts. That is the nicest. That is a great analogy for your company. Packing peanuts are wonderful. They're soft. They're something that you like 
don't see every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then you see them and you're like, that's perfect for just moving. And that's now, it. And, and, and now they make packing peanuts out of whey. They are edible. I have eaten them. What so do they now taste like? They taste like you would expect them to taste. They taste as bland as possible. They melt into your mouth and it's like they were never there. It is just like your comedy. See, I, <laughs> I, I don't want to be as bland as possible, but... I am monotone. I do essentially read tweets. That's what it sounds like, at least. (laughs) But what I also, I I just put this together. Um, I picked this clip, this Nick Swartzen clip, Mm -hmm. because uh, I think his cat joke, like the meat of that joke Mm -hmm. is hysterical because it is a traditional joke in a sense where there's a setup and a punchline with a twist in the middle. Mm-hmm. That is right. the late night monologue joke you see every single night, yeah. but he does it in a way where it's creative and no one else is thinking about that in particular, and the math is there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, wait, 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 wait. There's a, there's a bunch that you said all, all in a row right there. I want to unpack kind of each part for a second. So uh, in the sense that it's a traditional joke and it's set up, punch, twist in the middle, um, but he does it really creatively. What do you mean? Okay, so there's a setup there. My cat is sick. I took him to the doctor. Bingo. Set up right course, there. Right, yep. The doctor says, well, what has he been eating? Mm-hmm. since he's been having diarrhea right that's the the middle part where you're like okay still part of the setup but i understand there's an issue with the cat now let's see where this is going and then nick swartzen says i feed my cat diarrhea yes and you immediately go oh He's not mentally all there, <laughs> but he is 100% mentally all there. Like that is yeah. a joke that you think of and you have one of these light bulbs going off above your head and you're like, this will make people laugh no matter what. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. just the idea of a cat eating diarrhea, like, <laughs> I don't want to see it in front of me. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. But like if I close my eyes and I hear him say it, you're like, oh, that's cartoonishly it's funny. Tar- yeah, that's yeah. It's one of the things I wrote down is always it's just like it's so cartoony and and it is also this is the essence of absurdism which is the theme of this particular episode is absurdism and 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 that's absurd the uh, the very idea of grabbing your cat by the back of the head and force feeding him diarrhea is it's awful sure but absurd who would do that right bizarre intentionally bizarre i think it's so great how you can take a small thought like that and build three minutes off of it now granted he had the whole entire like ghost pooping where he was Mm -hmm. like woo pooping i'm pooping (laughs) i'm a ghost that kind of a thing and i don't necessarily like that part of the joke either but i also appreciate how he packaged yes it together how he said so this is there's a good chance this is the dumbest joke yeah he shows what i love about that too is he starts it that's a layer that's important for later for when he's making he is making a point and the point is the very point you like right which is that uh this is just jokes this is entertainment if you take it seriously um you're listening wrong uh in a way and and so then he brings the ghost back to show a, a farting ghost is, is absurd. Why would you ever get upset about the, the diarrhea cat thing? Look how, and he puts them together to show, to juxtapose absurd, absurd, right? Yeah. Both are absurd. Both are not necessarily needed in life. No, no one needs to talk about these <laughs> subjects. Yeah, yeah. It's inane. It's almost pointless. 
you say he is making points. I want to say he is not. Well, the point is that there is no point. Exactly. That's the point. Right. It's still a point. Which is something that I <laughs> very much so enjoy in comedy when a comedian goes on stage and just has jokes. Yeah. Even if they're, they're about um, like their David, day. Like David Tell, man. Yeah. David Tell is, is the champion of that and insists over and over again, these are just jokes. If you take them seriously, it's on you. Right. And uh, by the way, I want to say one thing. Um, Metacomedy and absurdism are are uh, fraternal twins. They are they absolutely go together. They do, of course. Yeah. And and for those who don't know, actually, how would you describe metacomedy? It's the uh, whole entire concept of the movie Inception. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a dream <laughs> inside of a dream. Which was hilarious. Which was hilarious. It's such a good Very comedy. Very funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is one of my all-time uh, favorite comedies, as, uh, <laughs> as I think you guys can agree. Yeah. It's a pretty yeah, good movie. Yeah. No, no. It stars Bane, right? Is Bane in that? No. <laughs> Tom Hardy's not in that. He's in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole entire comedy collection of uh, batman and uh, inception uh, it's the same cast yeah, pretty yeah. much isn't it <laughs> yeah it really is the same cast uh, you that. ever watch movies and you're no. like okay well ooh, i can move forward we yeah, don't have yeah. to talk about this yeah. uh no have you ever seen like two movies and they have the same cast like and you're like well how come that movie was really yeah, good Chris and nolan then, is the judd apatow of dark movies <laughs> yes almost every single star trek is that way it's just reshuffled and people. recast, and it's, you it's, know, you're just saying with the franchise, get out of here. <laughs> Stop making jokes. Your joke was Sorry, sorry. I really had a point there, but. Do you ever worry <laughs> that you're the most boring person alive? I worry that about myself <laughs> all the time, where I'm like, what am I saying? What am I doing? Okay, I'll be quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's no, I, it. I feel like I'm boring, but I feel like I can sell it as f- interesting. <laughs> How so? Please go into this yeah, in detail. Like I'll be like, I don't know. I'm I'm good at pat like <laughs> one time this this Polish woman who I was dating this is years ago, like saw my comedy and she, she, her second language was English. And I was like, and she was like laughing at the show and I asked her what she thought about my material. And she's like, it's all good. I mean, it's funny. It's like not that funny, but you say it funny. So it's you know, <laughs> that, like, okay. That yep. is such a, like a good critique of comedy across the board. We're like, yeah, it's not funny unless the person delivers it properly jesselnick has a quote in thoughts and prayers which is his latest uh, netflix special where he says uh he's talking about tragedies and how he always tweets the day of a tragedy and he's like they're like 9 11 uh the boston bombing none of these things are funny there's nothing funny about these things it's like yes you're right there's nothing funny about these things that's where i come in and it's just like this great. And then he goes on this bit, but it's true. It's comedians have to be, make funny something that isn't funny at all. Yeah. I want to say like regarding uh, the, I think I might be the most boring person or I think I want to think, I would say that I think both of you are lying. You get on stage, you sit and write about all the wonderfully entertaining and interesting things that you think about and get on stage in front of all these people and say, shut up, listen to me. I don't, I think you're lying. Oh yeah. I am just several lies on top. He's just marketing himself. He's gonna. He wants the boring guy sitcom uh, role. I want to be boring. I am boring. I'm the Dilbert of New York City comedy, except I don't have a job. 
So, and I'm Kathy. Act. <laughs> I wish I could do act outs. I would love to do more act outs in life in general. I don't do act outs. I'm not a fun person. <laughs> I, that's me. That's my brand that I'm curating. This is so the opposite. Is such of Osama, bullshit. But. I'm not going to take that from you. I have seen your uh, your follow make a religion follow me. Uh, video that you made that is anything but boring. Uh, follow BrandonScottWolf.com. It's uh, the number one online following site for me, Brandon <laughs> Scott Wolf. Uh, that is what you're alluding to, I believe. So good. Be weird if that wasn't what you were alluding to. Uh, there's uh, just a website where people are actu- actually following it. That is perfect. Uh, let me introduce uh, Brandon Scott Wolf. Come on. Let's talk about sex. Brandon Scott Wolf is a Brooklyn-based comedian who was recently described by the New York Times as a droll one-liner comic with a passion for absurd comedic ideas like his solo online dating site. He was a staff writer for NBC's Best Time Ever with Neil Patrick Harris. He has pitched two TV shows this year. Tell us about that. Two TV shows. Great. Uh, I don't have any TV shows uh, under my uh, belt to my credit. Um, I pitched two. One was called Blank Brandon Scott Wolf, which was based off of my online dating site, datebrandonscottwolf.com. Yeah. While I was pitching it, fightbrandonscottwolf.com was also out, which Fight was Brandon a platform Scott. I was using to challenge Floyd Money Mayweather to a sanctioned boxing match at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, not only did he not respond to me directly, Rude. he retired within a month of the site launching. Uh, he is ducking me. He is a coward. <laughs> Dude, we're going to tweet this out to Floyd wait wait could i you didn't list this you didn't list this you're also a contributor to weekend update was 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 a contributor fired a freelance contributor yeah for uh i'm a very boring man (laughs) i uh i had a lot of fun being a weekend update contributor um unfortunately after three seasons i got that staff writing position and couldn't freelance anymore because the writers guild is like you can't and also snl was also like okay uh, and I was like, good. I understand. Thank you so much for your time. I loved every minute of this. Good day. Please hire me full time. I love Saturday Night Live. If anyone's listening from Saturday Night Live, I would love to write for your show again full time. For, for those of for those of you who don't know, Saturday Night Live is... I'm kidding. <laughs> We're hire BrandonScottWolf.com. <laughs> Please. The number one online hiring site for me. <laughs> Actually, we should both plug. Yes, SNL, if you could hire all three of us. <laughs> hire are, us all. We're yeah. good. We're a writing team. We'd, he'd, uh, yeah. We'll split the paycheck three ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fi- totally fine. We, we each have a, we'll have a third of a credit. And you can I just will... Venmo me SNL if you want. Just <laughs> I'll get $20, the dollars I'll be fine. You can have the uh, N. You can have the L. How does yeah. that sound? We'll split it up. We'll each quite, get frankly, one. quite frankly, I pay to go to open mics. I will pay to be on SNL. <laughs> yeah, <give> me <laughs> being uh, being paid is great but paying to be on snl now now you're talking (laughs) that is what i want to do what tell me the story how did you start doing stand-up and why what what is it for you i was 19 years old and i went to penn state as my college of choice Mm -hmm. and i started writing for the humor magazine there and within three or four months i was like if people like my writing then stand up and so i went to a 
open mic at the West Hall Study Lounge, and it was an open <laughs> mic for everything. There's a study lounge mic? Yeah, yeah, I did a study lounge mic. There was someone doing ballet. There was another person <laughs> who did slam poetry, and then I performed stand-up comedy for 15 minutes and Whoa! taped it. Oh, wow. And I thought I was a star and nothing could stop me. And then I realized there were no other open mics in the State College, Pennsylvania area. And then and you so, joined up with the ballerina. And, and we started our own thing. <laughs> uh, we actually did start our own thing. Not the ballerina, but myself and a few other friends. We started performing out of my second floor apartment in, in, in State College. And uh, had people over for open mics and shows. That's awesome. And then we moved our uh, whole little sideshow from the apartment to a college uh, theater. And we started performing there for audiences of 20 to 100 people. Yeah. And it's still an organization today. It's called Second Floor Stand Up. Oh, so that's cool. Dope, dude. Yeah. We, a revolution. We started in our uh, little like apartment, Jay. Second Floor Apartment. And so I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of, you know, all the people that have performed and gone through it because, like, there are people. Sandusky. One of the artistic directors at Nerdmelt, uh, Sandusky, who was there. <laughs> the uh, 15 on touching. When I was in college in at University of Montana. Uh, Sandusky. Uh, <laughs> his cousin. Uh, uh, yeah. Very similar, though. Uh, yeah, I. Terry Sandusky. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so when I was at university of Montana, um, my, my thing was I knew I wanted to do stand up, and there wasn't a lot of opportunity there. Didn't know how to do it. So I, instead I just would smoke a lot of weed and listen to George Carlin and dismantle my belief in Jesus Christ, uh, piece by piece. That was how I, that was what hey, I that's did. That's fine. If you're still broken, head to follow Brandon Scott. <laughs> uh, you can't believe in Christ. You can believe in me. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> Come on. Let's talk about sex. Vulnerability is a phenomenal thing to have when you're a stand-up. And I don't really talk much about my actual life. Mm -hmm. no, and that's one main reason why I just like jokes. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. jokes are important. Um, I watched Norm MacDonald's new special. Um, I haven't read his book yet, but from what I heard, it's an autobiography that is about his life, but everything is made up. And so it's just jokes. That's really funny. Because there are people with interesting stories to tell. And I truly, from the bottom of my heart, believe I do not have an interesting story to tell. I really do. I don't think my time um, on stage is worth almost bothering people with my <laughs> middle class suburban upbringing. Like <laughs> Your I parents didn't, are alive. My parents are alive. Not They're divorced. still together. I don't supportive. have very supportive, God very kind. <laughs> Um, in college, it, the second floor stand up. I remember um, you weren't the, molested. Nope, okay. not to my knowledge. Harrison, put the knife down. It's, he's, it's okay. <laughs> it's not an attack against your life. Oh yeah. my goodness! <laughs> then I'll have things to talk about. And I'd be like, "Well, I have to break the ice. Uh, I was stabbed during a podcast." You want recording? something to talk about? I'll give you something to talk about. <laughs> and that would be great because that would get my street cred up too. So oh, it would be helping see, each other. I'm so boring that I say street credibility. It's just, <laughs> Across the board, sad. If I got stabbed and I had to explain to an audience that I have facial scars because I was stabbed during a podcast recording,
recording. <laughs> when I hear it during a podcast recording, if I was an audience member, when I hear that, I would just shut off and be like, oh, yeah, he you was also born say in during. the during. Yeah, during. 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 Yeah, that is like a boring like guy. A, is there like an umlaut there? During. During. Yeah. What do you I'm say? I'm very say during. During. Yeah, yeah. I'm during. boring and I say during. Midwest. Midwest South. <laughs> yeah, I'm from the Philadelphia area, so I, I say water instead of water. Yeah, yeah. Do you say crayon or crayon? Are we boring? Are we boring people? I just don't know anymore. I always wonder, am I boring? And I like I don't want to be that person. Like, you know how you get like you're high, so like Mike on Birbiglia. top of how boring you are that you're not yes, boring anymore. Maybe. Like Mike <laughs> Birbiglia has that whole entire bit where he's like, I don't like being that guy who smokes pot because when I'm the guy who smokes pot, I go up to everyone and I'm like, Hey, am, am I really high right now? Am I annoying? Like what's am I, am I annoying? You guys don't like me? Yeah, that whole yeah, entire yeah, thing. Yeah. And I'm like, mm. Uh, I want to mention how I met you. Okay. I remember it. I don't think you do. Um, oh, definitely not. Yeah. I remember nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I had just moved to New York and I did a UCB uh, open mic. You got on stage and you did one thing the entire time. The entire time for four minutes, five minutes, you said, that's an interesting response. That's all I did? Yes. You oh, just, wow. You just, you, you commented on the response. You, you'd get up there and you waited until people started to giggle. And then you were like, that's a good response. And then they would laugh more. That's a little better. And you just kept riding <laughs> up and down. I on do the remember doing that. And it was, it killed, it killed. And it was, and you, you never let up. You, you were relentless. That's really funny. And then by the end, and then by the end, you were like, good work. <laughs> to the audience. I talked to you afterwards and we had this same conversation where ultimately you were criticizing other people for trying to make comedy more than just jokes. Um, not like hardcore, like they're all wrong, but this is how I see it. Uh, and I remember thinking, maybe I'm doing it wrong. No, <laughs> never question yourself. <laughs> In life, That's the quote. That's the quote of the never, never question, never wait, question you yourself. For four minutes. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's oh, yeah. really impressive. Oh yeah. And cool. It was, it I really was, I'd never seen anything. I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, That's a good I, see so much con I see so much stand up. I, I mean, uh, like crappy stand up. most of it from Harrison and like, <laughs> and then my balls and, over here. And, uh, and, and, and then I saw that and I was just like, that is singular that I've never seen that before or since. So I usually, I don't want to sound like people, say similar things that you just said. Um, usually people bring up, uh, I did one set and I said, I've said it before and I'll say it again. And people are waiting for me to say something <laughs> right. afterwards. Right. And I repeated that yeah. for five minutes. <laughs> wait, wait, can you do a little clip of it? And not like a little we clip. Just I just did. I just wait, no, no, up. no. Do, perform it a little bit. Like, so you'd be like, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I've said it before. And I'll say it again. Yeah, and you can just, just change the way you deliver the line and it changes the joke slightly. And at a certain point, people get very upset. <laughs> and then I continue moving forward with right. it. I believe one point, I actually did Wait. it. I taped it. It's online, uh, hidden on YouTube, of course, where most of my act is just <laughs> the dark web youtube uh hidden. not the dark web not the, but the dark web of youtube sure, sure. for me <laughs> and i take out like a maestro wand 
Yeah. And I start conducting the audience and they start saying, I've said it before and I'll say it again. (laughs) And it is so scary. Like a cult leader (laughs) took control of a room full of normal people. Yeah. And made them a part of his ministry. Remember, follow Brandon Scott Wolf. Dot com. <laughs> dot com. <laughs> There's the important part. Dot com there. What's the tagline? The number one online following site for Brandon Scott Wolf. <laughs> because the dating site was datebrandonscottwolf.com, the number one online dating site for Brandon Scott Wolf. So th- this is this is one of the things that I love about about absurdism, about meta comedy, and in particular, I just fucking love recursive humor. Anything that any 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 snake biting the tail kind of humor which just keeps yeah. folding back on itself <laughs> i love that shit yeah, i love great. it i really love people who think outside the box and i don't know if i think outside the box but i'm definitely you fucking know you think outside don't thousand. even he's, i i mean it's very difficult to point at yourself unless you're kanye west and just be like i am a genius i am doing something different you're doing very well at the modesty thing and it is super charming and i totally i i i i applaud you for it and it is it's great um i also want to just give you credit where credit is due you're doing something different thank you, you i appreciate that uh neil patrick harris did that oh yeah, yeah he has his credit yeah. also true uh, yeah let's um do you guys want to listen to another bit yeah yeah, yeah. Yes, i love bits ah uh, all right is this rory or um this? uh no this is um by a comedian uh brandon scott wolf uh oh god <laughs> seeing his wait can i say something before <laughs> before <laughs> i just don't I would never peg you as a comedian that could do an entire set that's exclusively based off change and inflection. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not my act. That's I usually... bet you did that is so crazy. I Impressive and just, like, bizarre. I almost put... Uh, by the way, I almost picked some Stephen Wright just because, just to be yeah. like... And here is Brandon Scott Wolf's dad. Uh, I, uh, I've been uh, saying this to just like friends and things like that. Like it's like a silly bit. I don't think I would ever do it on stage because I don't know if everyone knows who Stephen Wright is. If you're not a comedy fan, Stephen Wright is an amazing comedian. He's very funny. He does a lot of one-liners. Dry started in the seventies. The 80s. progenitor, the, the the granddaddy of of monotone. He has my favorite one-liner co- joke ever, which is women can't live with them, can't shoot them. <laughs> that's a very good joke that's really also a funny. good impression yeah. that was very good Thank you. but uh Thank people you. i always say like people come up to me after shows and they're usually comparing me to Stephen wright and mm-hmm. they're like you know you remind me of a less funny Stephen wright <laughs> and i'm like because oh, he was really funny he's super funny you can't not <laughs> think is, he's is. funny he's oh, yeah. great he's really yeah he's super funny. cool let's let's play that bit from brandon scott wolf this is from a set of his at caroline's it's not part of the hidden dark web youtube <laughs> all right let's go i find it hard to believe that a heavyset person who can communicate with the dead is a medium? (laughs) (laughs) Growing up, I used to get picked on a lot. My mom would always say to me, Brandon, keep your chin up. Because when it's down, you look fat. (laughs) I come from a long line of fathers. 
My father was a father. And his father was a father. And the guy in the front row there gets the bit. <laughs> I don't have a lot of money right now, but I hope I have some more by the time I die. Because I think it would be incredibly embarrassing to pass away on the death futon. <laughs> My wallet was stolen a couple of months ago, and the first thing I did was cancel my Regal Movie Theater Rewards card. <laughs> I tried sneaking popcorn into the movies this past weekend. But unfortunately, the theater staff saw my microwave. <laughs> I live in an up-and-coming neighborhood here in Brooklyn. So do you. This past week, a man who seemed a bit lost approached me. I was like, excuse me. But how far away is a gluten-free bakery? And I was like, about three years. There's a laundromat in my neighborhood. It turns into a wine bar at night. Which is what my Aunt Karen would call just a regular laundromat. <laughs> I have a cat allergy. I can't eat cats. <laughs> so great. intentionally don't go big just so I can go home. <laughs> that was the only time in life I've ever made a crowd laugh. That was it. <laughs> You're a dick about your over two years ago, I believe. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I think it's very important to not call yourself funny. I think once you yeah. say I'm funny, you lose magic. You mean on stage or just oh, in life? Off in life. I'm, oh no, uh, I go up to roofs and I'm like, I'm the one of the greatest. I'm very funny. <laughs> Attention, <laughs> Brooklyn. Do you understand what you're missing if you don't come to my shows? I would fuck me. Is that what you were doing? Oh, no. Were you doing a wait, Buffalo wait, Bill? I gotta disagree with you. I think if you're okay, if your thing is that you need to be like, I need to be super confident to deliver my material, and I think a big part is like. Because I, I was silent. I was very shy for the whole of my life. And then when I became an adult, I was like, I've gained confidence. And I think a big part is like, I, I want to come up with like the modesty of knowing that I don't know anything, but that I, I need to put in my head that I'm, I'm like, I'm good at stand up, more good at stand up than being funny, if that makes sense. Here's, here's something else. Uh, I, 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 I would put it like this. What you're doing 
is you're doing a magic trick. You are saying, I'm boring. My tone is boring. What I'm talking about is boring. Twist, boom, bam. And so they have to be misled in order for that trick to work. What Harrison does and what I do is I have joy. You're going to feel this joy. I'm going to, it's going to come off me in waves. We're going to laugh at this absurd, ridiculous thing together. Right. And so, and so for, for Harrison to say he's funny, lie or not, mm-hmm. for him to say he's funny is part of the magic of what he's doing, which is almost like this bizarre telepathy thing where you're like, you're going to catch these emotions from me. Whereas you're not doing that at no. all. No, I'm right? not. So for you, it, I can see how it would ruin your magic. I can totally see it. It's, it's antithetical to what you're doing. If I come across as though I'm a fun time, <laughs> no one wants to hear me tell jokes. I could say those same jokes in a non-measured way mm-hmm. and they would not work. Yeah. And I've tried it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so interesting. I have done stand up talking at the tone and rhythm that I'm talking now faster even and it doesn't come across the same. Uh-huh. Like there is a science to what I've done. And I know it sounds so gross to say comedy is math and like the Swartzen bit beforehand, no. you can Why see the that, math. That is the point of this po- uh, podcast. Well, people want comedy to be magic. People want it to be something thought of on the spot. They want improv, but at a level mm-hmm. that is stand-up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, well, what they want at least is that illusion. Sure. Yeah. I want to be math, but once you start putting letters into the equations. I want to be next level math where people don't understand how to do it. You want to be like advanced Mm -hmm. trig. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And the only person that can solve what I'm putting out there is a janitor at Harvard. That's what I want. I want to have a set where (laughs) there's stuff written on the board and I'm trying to figure out who's doing my problems. It's Matt Damon. And it's Matt Damon. I just want to hang out with Matt Damon. (laughs) Your style is a riddle. And the fun of it is that because you're 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 smoothing out, you have the same intonation. No 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 no. So the intonation, nothing to figure out there. You're it's all in the words, and then people are rushing ahead to try to beat you, and they don't because you've already done the math and the work, and so they cannot. They they can't, and that's the joy of it. There was one point, I want to say it was two or three years ago, where I was on an independent show at a bar, and I straight up set a punchline, and a woman who was heckling every comic all night guessed my punchline accurately. Oh. And, like, I was quite upset. Uh-huh. Because, like, I don't want anyone to know my punchlines, unless you've seen me before. Right. If you've seen me before and you hear a joke that you've heard before, fine, you know what's coming. Yeah. But if you've never seen me before and you can guess a punchline, that is, like, borderline devastating to me as a comic. <laughs> like, it is quite upsetting. And so what I did, and I've made this a part of my act when I do an hour uh, or 45 minutes or whatever, and I need to do some crowd work, I want to do some crowd work, I will pick one person in the audience and I will explain to them, okay, uh, my punchlines usually don't get guessed. People don't guess, you know, what I'm going to say next Mm -hmm. uh, with a high degree of accuracy. 
but I'm going to tell jokes to you and only you as an audience member. Forget that there's anyone else in this room. And I'm going to make you guess my punchlines. And so I'm going to do a setup. And when I point at you, we're going to have you say what you think the punchline will be. I think you did it at my show. It was great. I might have done yeah, it at your you show because I've done it a handful of times. And the night that my joke was guessed initially, um, I did this to the woman who was heckling everyone. And it got to the point where she actually started crying and everyone in the room clapped and laughed at her. And I didn't want to come across as a villain. Oh my God. But I out villained the villain. And I think that was so satisfying. And like, I went up to her and I talked afterwards and was like, Hey, I didn't mean to make you cry. Wait, 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 let me, make, let me understand. That was the woman who guessed your punchline. And then you flipped it around on her in yes. that moment and in came that up moment. with that technique. Yes. Okay. And that's it. how I came up with that. Yeah let's guess the punch because you were mad <laughs> I, I like i like playing with the audience and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. having those back and forths that are natural but also i'm still the conductor and the train is on the track I feel the same way nice so yes. i have these things that i do like uh guess that punchline or rate that joke i love rate people, that joke yeah yeah it's rate like that a joke. 70s rate game show yeah. and people it's all yell great. rate that yeah. joke and yeah. then you have to rate the <laughs> yeah. joke yeah I started hitting a wall almost as a performer because I wasn't doing crowd work and I was only doing my setup punchline jokes and you need to be versatile. You need to be able to communicate with a live audience and like breaking that fourth wall is very important to me. Yeah. Like I was saying at the beginning of the podcast where like, I am a performer. I'm here to entertain you as your court jester for the next five to mm -hmm. 25 minutes to an hour or whatever it is but also like i can hear you yeah i can see you not a television just like you i'm not can a tv see me. you're right mm -hmm. and like i i've never seen this happen but i always kind of want it to someone heckle like a broadway play mm. and i just want to <laughs> see how the actors would be like hey can you stop this is a play because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like stand-up yeah. is one of the only mediums where yep. you can be like the hey, audience, you're not funny. The audience is a part of the show. Well, real quickly, I want to go back to some of your material here because you do something that I envy. You, you were just talking about how you want to do more act outs. You wish you could do act outs and so on. Well, act outs are, uh, for good or better or worse, they are just 100% natural to me. I do them all the time, um, and, and, and which, you know, it's sometimes not, you can't just rest on that shit. And I, I have about driven myself crazy trying to crank out jokes like you do every single time. Successful, tight, well-worded jokes that just that last word is the keystone that makes the bridge work. So I want to talk about it. I don't get it. Yeah. So at one point, my brother, he is a journalist. He is very good at his job. Uh, he's a sports writer. And he is one person who, if I don't talk to him for a while, maybe like a month, two months, three months, you know, we'll catch up and we'll talk about what I'm doing as a stand-up, what he's doing as a writer. And a few years ago, he said something to me, and this is comedy advice coming from someone who isn't a comedian, but someone who, you know, in my family, when we have Thanksgiving dinner, or we get together for another holiday, he is the focal point. He is the funniest person in the room. Mm -hmm. He is the loudest. He has the biggest Whoa. personality. He is in control. 
Mm-hmm. He commands everyone's attention and he has an interesting job. So everyone wants to talk to him about his job. And he was listening to what my publication. Jokes. I'm sorry. He uh, writes for the Tennessean. He is oh, a writer cool. for the Tennessee Titans. And oh, so nice. he's their beat reporter. And he always is a great sounding board because he'll tell me when he thinks something's funny and he'll tell me when he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And he said, Brandon, if you're going to write jokes and that's going to be your living professionally, you have to put the punchlines at the end. And that from him, oh, I know that meant so much to me uh-huh. because I would put them not near the end. I would put punchlines at the beginning of the end, if that makes sense. And I would have extra words uh-huh. and you don't need those extra words. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can just cut a sentence in half and be like, Oh, this is way funnier. Yeah, and I yeah. do that online all the, all the time on my Twitter. If you're, at Brandon E.S. Wolf, and you're looking at my timeline, you can see that, like, I used to have extra sentences, extra words, mm-hmm. and, like, Twitter's already brief wow. enough, but, like, I can cut out 70 characters and do the same joke, and it's funnier. I think that's the difference between writing bit, bits and writing jokes, which is, like, um, I, lo- I heard John Mulaney say this, uh, where he got, he bombed really hard, and... It was because he was very clever in this very clever Brooklyn comic, but he was doing like a Hoboken comedy show or like something in like the stress factory or something. And he bombed really hard. And then the comic before him was like way more like uh, vet was like get to the point, like, like put, and basically he was saying, if you're going to do long form, do the punch up top and then let everything following that kind of like be in that vein, but it doesn't need, it, it can't, it, it might not be as strong as the initial punch, but they'll be having that rolling laughter with the remaining. Punches. It's like an earthquake. And then all the aftershocks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if either of you have taken UCB classes. Have you? No. Yeah. I would like to take so a you have, class. Though. What they teach is game game. And that essentially is like stay on point. Mm-hmm. UCB stands for upright citizens brigade. It's the premier improv and sketch, uh, a training facility, school in anywhere, really. It would honestly yeah. blow my mind not to offend you guys as the host of this podcast. <laughs> but if someone is listening to a podcast it where it is, is where it is like breaking down comedy and jokes, and at this point they've gotten through thirty five <laughs> minutes of this, and they're like, "UCB, California, not- Berkeley, what is this? <laughs> You're not from Montana." Uh, uh-huh. Oh, so yeah, I guess there are people mm-hmm. in the Midwest. That's mm-hmm. why I feel like I don't do as well in the Midwest. <laughs> I, uh, I need to. They're all stupid to you. Oh, I'm not going to say that. (laughs) Uh, It is kind of like what you were saying with Mulaney. There are people out there who just don't understand what I'm saying. It sounds like Mm -hmm. I'm speaking Mandarin. Yeah, yeah. And they're just not on board with my act, with my jokes. They almost don't, they don't like the absurd. And people just want the jokes of, hi, I'm this person. Here's a funny joke on my name. I look like this. Here's a funny joke about how I look. I sound like this. Here's a funny joke about how I sound. Next up, I'm going to talk about my upbringing. I was Mm -hmm. raised by these people. These people don't like me for that reason. You're playing in the realm of ideas and as opposed to the realm of people and different and different kinds of people have different interests. Uh, You know, what you're doing is uh, playfully cerebral. And there are other people who they're more interested in how human beings relate to other people, what their flaws are, what they're and so on. And so when you don't talk about that stuff and that's what they think stand up should be, they their expectation 
wasn't set right. And so they're going to resent you for it mm-hmm. the whole time. Right. And that is something I am aware of. And I have to reintroduce myself when I do these shows and realize, oh, they expect this out of stand-up comedy. I need to give them a little bit of this, a little but bit. the way that I would do it. Yeah. And what I was saying about like, the UCB... Like you, could almost, you could almost just like set it up and be like, do a few of those jokes, and then you could say, okay, I'm done doing jokes like that now. Now we're going to do jokes like... I now we're going to do my do style yeah. of jokes. <laughs> ones that don't make sense. Here we go. And 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 and, and absurdism, real quickly, like uh, absurdism also is something... This is my pet theory. If you're not exposed to absurdism early, you're not going to get it. Like oh, I got point. exposed to Monty Python when I was in my early teens. It that's blew- such a good point to get get absurdism in your system early. Yes. Even the cartoons I watched, like Courage the Cowardly Dog, mm-hmm. it was just and like, people weird. who never exposed to that when they see it and they're older, it's just like does not enter. They're just like, why are we watching this? This is so dumb. Everyone has a different sense of humor and what they think is funny, and it's not all going to be funny. Like you hear comics who are just like. I want to go into any room and be able to kill. And I'm like, your expectations are very high. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But that about- is a decent, okay. I mean, I, I agree with you in terms of the actual, like finding out that you can't just do that. Well, there's two approaches. There's, I'm going to slam my version of funny into anybody's head, or I'm going to figure out what this room needs and yeah. I'm going to adapt to that. And I think that second, that's what they're, I hope that's what they're, trying to say is that I want to be versatile enough that I can get in there no matter who it is. Mm -hmm. I see myself as a comedian who is adaptable and I can go into any room and win a crowd over, Mm -hmm. but I need to use all of the tools that I have acquired over the years to do so. I have to do the crowd work. I have to do upfront jokes that are traditional stand-up comedy. Sometimes yeah. I have to do jokes that are off the walls, different. I have to be myself while also being a persona that isn't myself. What absurdist humor influenced you? When I was a teenager, Nick Swartzen, not like he's not one of those names that you hear that you would go to and be like, oh, he's a prior, he's a Carlin. Yeah. But like Comedy Central half hours, that's what I was watching mm-hmm. in the early yeah. 2000s. And it was people like Nick Swartzen. Uh, there were people, Galifianakis, yeah. Maria Bamford. Yeah, and Cook's first half hour is amazing. Do you remember... Back the, to the UCB, is that what we were talking yeah. about? I'm here to plug the theater. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I wanted to go back to that, that early exposure to, to absurdism. Um, like, do you remember... Do you have any like early memories of being like, I don't get this, but I want to? Or, or was it immediate? Or, well, do, you, do you have that recollection? There are acts out there that I saw when I was a teenager or younger. And I think... My favorite absurdist comedian is Noel Fielding. I don't know who this is. Noel Fielding, I should have brought a clip of his. He is a phenomenal act from the UK. He's a part of a collective called The Mighty Boosh. Mm-hmm. And The Mighty Boosh... <laughs> the Mighty Boosh. The Mighty Boosh it, what ran on BBC Three, I believe it was a radio show. In 1999, they placed as the Edinburgh Fringe Festival's uh, Best Newcomer Act. Oh, cool. And then they just took off from there. They made a live-action series that deals with running a 
shaman store uh, <laughs> slash like rock band. It was very off the walls, very chic, very British. Yeah. yeah. You know, they had songs, they had weird outfits, and they looked at the world differently. And a lot of people were getting Comedy Central specials or they were getting HBO specials just because they were talking about George W. Bush or the government or yeah. whatever was happening. And they clicked with me because they weren't talking about any of that. They were talking about woolly mammoths. They were talking yeah. about flying carpets. They were talking about what your haircut looks like. Like they were doing yeah. bizarre stuff. That's so great. And I remember when I was in college, so I, I was writing for the humor magazine and Russell brand ended up coming through town Whoa. and I got to sit down with him and he is Whoa. someone who has collaborated with Noel Fielding. And for a good half hour, he gave me his time. We were one-on-one -on -one in a room and I just got to ask him everything about comedy. Yeah. And Russell brand yeah. is also one of those acts. He's almost the Dane cook of, of England. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. people really have well kind of turned on him or hated him yeah. and he knows it and he owns it. And yeah. he is at a level of fame and what year is this when you're talking to him i'm sorry this must have been 2009 okay cool so i was talking with him about what it's like to tour what it's like to be in the states what it's like to be around the world yeah. and he said to me brandon uh if you want to be a good comedian it is 60 percent improvised on stage and you're just having fun with it and 40 percent material ah. sometimes even less material yeah you just want to own it and be a rock star and he is, that he is. is what he, he is. And I asked him, I, like during the interview I brought up, I was like, Hey, I know that you've worked with Noel Fielding. And he was like, I absolutely love Noel Fielding. He's one of like the, the funniest comedians I've ever seen. And no one stateside really knows Noel. Mm -hmm. um, he went on Fallon maybe six months to a year ago and cool. was just plugging his U S dates because he is here from time to time. Yeah. And he is just whimsical and it's not what you would imagine yeah. when it comes to humor. Mm -hmm. It is, he, he has a whole entire bit. I believe it was at the JF, JFL um, in Montreal and he talks about the word oblong. We can play it. Um, it's JFL what? Oblong. Noel Fielding. Bad quality. Hey, how are you, you cheeky otters? How's it going? Oh, just put that there. Look at you, lady. You've got a face. I've got a face. It's all going to be all right. <laughs> hey, look at you, sir. I feel a bit of distance. Come on, let's touch. And the, come on, let's bond. Let's touch. In a kind of I'm Christ and you're a leper kind of way. <laughs> I'm only joking. Look at you, sir. Come on, get on stage. Get naked. I'll get on top of you. <laughs> Not in a gay way, like two soldiers away from home, missing their wives. <laughs> Having a bit of a cuddle in bunk beds. <laughs> I'm excited. Oh, I feel good. I like, do you know why I feel good? Because I love Mike Lead. Look how much Mike Lead I've got. That's genius. Because I do a lot of whipping. <laughs> I do a lot of sharp turns in my act. I'm like that. I do a punchline. Well, what I loosely call a punchline. And then, that's taking the piss. I do a punchline and then I turn. <laughs> like that. But not in a European way. Not in a curvy way. Not in a... Not in a la 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 la. I'm right angles. <laughs> I'm like Tron. <laughs> I'm an 80s bitch. 
I do a lot of sharp turns. I say something like, yeah, wait your big sands, and then I'm gone. We are. You think, wait your big sands, what's that all about? Imagine it, crunchy. Oh, wait your big sands. Oh, you're lacerating me. Oh, it's hurting me. But then the other hand comes in. There's milk in the equation. Oh, sensual. Wait your big sands. Oh, but then the crunchy hand. The dry one. And then the other one with milk in it. This time, there's been a microwave involved. It's warm. Oh, wait your big sands. You're turning me on. Pleasure, then pain. What's happening? Wait your big sands. That's what I'm talking about. But I do a turn, yeah? You're lovely. What a great room, though. I love this room. It's kind of oblong. I love oblong. It's just like, oblong's my favourite word, because it's just, it's a genius word, because only kids use it. It's like, when you see an oblong, you go, it's an oblong, but then you get to about, I don't know, 16, and it becomes a rectangle. When you're a man, it's no longer an oblong. Kids just, oblong, oblong, oblong. Adults, I think you'll find it's a rectangle, Timothy. (laughs) Stop using that silly word. (laughs) And you just can't, I love saying oblong, but you can't get adults to say oblong. They won't do it. You go up to a businessman. And I've tried it. I go up to them and go, go on, say oblong. They're like, I couldn't say that. Go, Quick, come down this dark alley and say it. There's no one around. And they go, do you really think I could say it? And I go, yes, come on, And we creep down there and I go, go on, say it. And they go, oblong. <laughs> and they go, I've got it on tape. You're finished. <laughs> I take it to where they work and I show his work colleagues. And they'll go, he said oblong. Then I take that. Pretty soon I'm running the whole city with the power of Oblong. <laughs> oh yeah. Imagine if I did the gig like this. There's the microphone up to his eye. <laughs> you all had to read my mind. That way if it was a bad gig it would be your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I've got no concept of time. That could be five, it could be 50, I don't know. (laughs) So I'm going to take my chances and leave. But before I do, I'm just going to look at you through there. (laughs) Wow, there's some freaks in tonight. (laughs) See you later, you've been lovely. Cheers, thanks a lot. Oh my God, that was really amazing and such a... (laughs) But it's not what you think of when you think of stand-up comedy. No. Right. It is... He wasn't doing anything right. He was doing everything wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was perfect. Yeah, yeah. It was oh one of God. the most entertaining things that I've ever seen. That he kind of actually reminds me of Rory Scovel, like a British even more to crazy he, than Rory Scovel. It, it it you know what it felt like? It felt like he was treating everybody in the audience like they were in kindergarten. Yes. Yeah. Wow. You're he right. is the teacher and everyone yeah. else is stupid. But the he cool art explain the world. He's the one explaining the world, though, and we all have to be a part of his universe. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point. Right, right. It's and his un- and in his universe, uh, businessmen can't say oblong or they're finished. Yeah, they're done. <laughs> and he's running the whole entire city through blackmail because he has oblong on a I wanna, tape recorder. I want to pick this apart. I want to analyze this because this one's tough. I'm not quite sure how to do it. Now, up top, uh, he says cheeky otters. Mm-hmm. He just has weird phrases for people. Mm-hmm. It kind of draws you in, you know, oh, oh, this is going to be different. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be the government's bad for the following reasons. These people are being held down for the following reasons. I'm being held down because of the government. I don't like this or that. Here's my fallout shelter that I've been planning on living in when the apocalypse It's happened. oblong. Yeah. It's an oblong it's shelter. It's oblong. It's yeah. just an oblong shelter. And like he says that. 
And then he starts doing crowd work, but it's not normal crowd work. It's right. not, are you two dating? I have a face. You have a face. It's I, absurd. I'm going to touch your hand now as though I'm Christ and you're a leper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it's just weird, uh-huh. but it's also inviting right. and warm. Yeah. He makes his world his own and mm-hmm. he invites the crowd to be a part of it. Yeah. You know, I, I have to say, now that you say it like that, um, there there. I've described my stuff to people um, kind of in the same way, although it's different. I typically have a point I'm trying to make, but it only works if people are willing to go into the world I'm creating because I am doing all these act outs and voices and faces and all this stuff. And I want them, if they go with me in the world, if they're willing to go there, they're going to love it there. It's so much fun there. If they won't go there, well, it sucks for everybody. Um, and I think I would, I would imagine he has the same problem. <laughs> the audience is essentially a group of vampires and you have to invite them in and you're like, hello, <laughs> blood suckers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> These are my jokes and thoughts and musing. Yeah. <laughs> he also says, which I am noticing as a recurring theme in my taste of comedy that I prefer after he does the leper bit, he says, I'm only joking. Yeah. These are jokes. I'm only joking. Yeah. These are Hello, just, these it's are, okay. These are jokes. Come with me. Not like the Pied Piper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's tricking people into following him. Yeah. Like yeah. I do at followbrandonscottwolf.com. I also like how um, he does a thing. This is very Dane Cookie, too. Uh, he's like, he's going to insist to you that oblong is a word that only children say and that um, everybody stops saying it after a certain point. Okay. Probably not the case. All right, children all. don't know the at, word oblong. Right, right, and and no one has a problem saying oblong. But for that moment, he's so full of joy. He's so confident. He's so insistent. For that moment, yeah, no one does say oblong. <laughs> <laughs> What's crazy to me is that it seems as though his entire act was made up on the spot. Mm-hmm. He talks about the room. He talks about the cord on the microphone. Yep. He puts the microphone up against his face and just does it for the sake of doing it. There's no reason. There's barely a justification as to why this man is on stage. He might just be a person with mental illness that stumbled upon a microphone, (laughs) but he owns it. Yeah. And he says, this is me. I look this way. I am this go, you know, and, and the, the, the line between him and a crazy open mic comedian is incredibly thin. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Incredibly thin. And it is, I think the line is, he's owning it all the way. He knows it. He's not trying to pass it off as, you should accept this. He's saying, this is absurd. It's really ridiculous. Don't take it seriously. Uh He is almost mad, like in the crazy sense, Mm -hmm. but so inviting that you question your own sanity. Am I thinking the right way? Is this person the person that actually is thinking the right way? Yeah. Should I be thinking like him? Is, is, why well, aren't I thinking like him? Why is he having so much fun? And you fold into yeah. yourself uh-huh. like a piece of origami that gets really tiny. And then you can kind of open up once more and say, oh, I can think like him. I just need to be positioned in the right way. And if you really want to get into that, follow Brandon Scott Wolf at the number one. (laughs) Sometimes I scare myself and I'm like, wow, I might be a religious cult leader. I I I would like to be clear. I am not a cult leader. I just have a cult following. Yes. (laughs) Okay. That's one of my patented lines. How close are you to your goal? I'm about 
85,000 <laughs> followers away. You're, you're going to make it, dude. Come on. Let's talk about sex. Since we've been talking about improvising on stage, I want to play a short clip from Brandon Scott Wolf again. And this is, uh, it's only about 38 seconds. I believe that the saying, if you love someone, let them go, is true. Because I love myself, and I am letting myself go. (laughs) Someone thinks my jokes are okay. Did you guys hear the okay? Uh, I, I didn't, but I saw it on the screen because you put it on the video. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There is someone that just says, okay. Like that. <laughs> Wait, is that, um, is the, uh, that clip from Caroline's as well? Or no? no, that it's is from, from the, the People's Improv Theater, the Ooh. underground space. There were probably only about 10 to 20 people there. Um, it's a nice smaller underground space. It's I like great that for stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a clip probably from three plus years ago. Yeah. And it was taken out of like an eight minute set. And it was the only part of the set that I put online just because like, it is so absurd to me <laughs> that someone would heckle in a way where they're just like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and the only response I had, it just kind of came out was, I'm glad that you think my jokes are okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like at That's the cool. end of the day, like I bill myself as a comedian with reasonable jokes. And I think it's good to have a mission statement mm-hmm. and say, I am this, do what you will with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of comics don't. If, if it's not, you know, there, it's not there. You need to have that one word if you're going to be successful. You, you have need- it, and 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 that. But that's the thing. Like you have clearly defined what you want to do, what you like to do, and how you present yourself. And you say that that they don't, and they should look. I'm one of the people who doesn't because I don't fucking know yet. And I'm working fine. on it, and 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 I and I, I I keep trying to like like winnow it down. But I do. I look at what you're doing, and I'm just like, it's it's so great. It's so singular. It's so you. Thanks, man. I fuck I you. Don't want fuck to, you. That's the other part. Of that. Fuck you. Great. Good. <laughs> I don't want to paint myself into a corner, though. And I understand that, like, my comedy might not be for everyone. Uh-huh. I know that I'm not going to win over every room. I'm just trying to have as much fun and grow as a comedian. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to the point where. I know I have jokes that work. I know I have a comedic voice and I'm very thankful that I've been able to perform for a little over eight years and find that. And it's almost becoming, I want to say like a crutch knowing that I can be good. I can be Ah. funny and I want to almost dig myself holes and try and figure out how to creatively get out of them. Yeah. And so I've been exploring how to not be as funny which sounds crazy, but I'm trying my <laughs> best like to not be funny. <laughs> I, I, I want to come across and say I'm boring. I want to come across and have an audience turn on me immediately. Yeah. Yesterday I did a show and I was given 15 minutes and the audience wasn't even in their seats. There were maybe three comedians that I know and four or five people in the back sitting down. Mm-hmm. There were three or four rows of empty seats and I went on stage and I straight up was like, 
okay, great. Now that the introduction is over, um, I'm going to talk to you because you are an audience and I am a comedian. <laughs> and that is socially what we have been told is going to happen. <laughs> and people didn't know what to make of it. it was like, am I talking too fast? Should I get back into my voice, my onstage persona? Mm -hmm. And then I started talking like I talk on stage, which is slower and measured. Yeah. And people were like very confused. <laughs> like I was uh, two different people. <laughs> and then at the five to six minute mark of this set, the door to the room opened and three or four more audience members, non-comedians came in and sat down. And I welcomed them to the room. I said, hello, <laughs> welcome to the show. I am not the host. I am just talking as though I am the host. <laughs> I am the first comedian build on this comedy show, have a sit. Oh, you think I'm doing very badly right now. I'm also thinking that. <laughs> I, and they were laughing at the same time yeah. you were laughing because yeah. it wasn't anything funny jokes per se. It was funny because of circumstance. And there were moments where I slipped in and out of jokes and did my, hey, this is me. This is the middle part of the joke. Here is the punchline. And people were so uncomfortable. <laughs> and then like more people walked in and there was about four minutes left in my act and the room was packed. There were probably 30 people in a small room at that point. Yeah. And I started doing more of my jokes and I started doing crowd work and getting laughs like that. And I ended fine. I ended like on laughter and whatnot, but the people that were there from the beginning to the end and saw how I went through <laughs> several different shifts of mindset, the way I presented yeah. myself, mm -hmm. I'm sure they're not thinking about it, but if I like talk to them or if they like talk like, to each oh, other yeah. after they were like, that man is mentally ill. <laughs> <laughs> like at one point I think I, I just said, anyway, so I started a religion on Twitter and then I didn't follow up with anything. <laughs> like it was just like a non sequitur. That came out of nowhere. <laughs> at one point, I said something along the lines of like, what am I even doing? I look at my life and I just don't even know what I'm doing. And people were genuinely concerned. <laughs> and then I went into a bit with a slow cadence. I was like, do you want me to do this? You're watching a man unravel. <laughs> and they laughed very hard at that. Uh -huh. And it, it's one of those mo like moments where you're like, oh, this is the part of the biopic in the movie where like the main character like goes crazy either that or you start to figure out what you want to do right i mean that, that's what it sounds like you're doing you're you're you you've you've definitely found something that works and now you're saying that's not enough i have to evolve creatively and so you're in that pain point so it sounds like i'm at a point in my career where stand-up comedy is phenomenal and i love it and i don't want to do anything else in the world but yeah. perform and tell jokes mm -hmm. and enjoy my life and be creative. And I'm also at that point where, you know, you, you have to say to yourself, can I make it as a stand-up comedian? Can I do this professionally? Yeah. Can I do it at the level where I'm touring and people want to see me? Yeah. And that's to be determined. Mm, of course. It's up in the air. Yeah. And there aren't people beating down my door, paying $30 to see me perform at the bell house, which is like a very nice venue here in Brooklyn. And will there ever be a time when that happens? You know, Louis CK says famously, give it a minute. I mean, uh, that's his advice to everybody. Yeah. Just give it a minute. 
Right. Uh, and, and it's easy for him to say because he did. And he did. There. We had that joke on his SNL monologue recently where he was like, I've been doing comedy for 30 years. I've been doing it for 30 years. Four years have been good. Like yeah. It's, <laughs> it's true, like, though. Yeah. I mean, it's like you think about it like, good God, these people. I mean, because we look at these comedians that are like legends that we look up to and we think like, oh, my God, this is his first short film. And and probably subconsciously we're like, oh, that Louis C.K. short film probably paid the bills for him. No, it was like when we make a shitty sketch and like, yeah, of course, it's crazy. Like, I mean, these people were not like it's also easier in comedy to be famous before you're doing well financially because of comedy, Mm -hmm. it seems like. I don't know. I think people don't understand religion you started yeah. a religion sure you're not crushing it financially i don't think actually you might be you're i ready. am not <laughs> i've had times though i i've had times the here and MPH there where deals. it's been good but like mm. at the end of the day comedy is one of those things where it does take a lot of time yeah. and people don't see you struggling mm. and i think that's a very important thing to to you know, talk about yeah. with your friends who are comedians, you need to be upfront and be like, I know we're not getting paid for these shows. Yeah. I know that you're putting in a lot of free time and free labor and free totally. energy and all that sort of stuff, but it's all a part of the maturation process. You need yeah. to grow. You need to figure out your voice. And once you figure it out, then you need to have uh, that moment where you say, am I doing this right? Is this yeah. what I'm supposed to do? Is this what I want to do? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you cross that bridge every once in a while, if I, you're lucky enough. I'm in a different position than either of you, which is that I already did the other life. You start, you went right out of college and started up in it. And I would have loved to have done that. But I did for eight years, I went and I lived the normal life. And I was an evil corporate banker in San Francisco is the way I like to say it. But like I did that. And I, and I remember having this moment where I looked around and I was like, okay, I did it. I have all the things. I still want to do the thing I originally wanted to do when I was a teenager. And I made people laugh for the first time. Fucking it. God, what am I going to do about this? So you gave up banking. I, it was super hard. What are <laughs> but the, it was, it was, what are the, though. What are the, you had, like, in, a great a career. I had a, like, great, I had a great career. I had attaboys left and right. I mean, it was attaboys? like, attaboys meaning, like, like a, job. a good job where I had, I had clients, I had customers, I had bosses what who loved me. What bank did you work uh, Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo. Oh, and, my bank. High five. Yeah, ooh, Friends yeah. of the show, Wells Fargo. Uh-huh. They're great. Um, we uh, love Wells Fargo. In a, in a way, they We're sponsored this. for sponsorship. Oh, that's how we use your connects. That's how we get with Wells Fargo money. And so, uh, I, I went through, but all the, the whole time knowing what I wanted to do, I lived life, life plan B first and then went, this doesn't work at all. And, and I was miserable. I was furious all the time. So upset. But you're also coming at it from an angle where like, oh, I wish I started younger, but you do have a lot of life experience and stuff to draw from. I do. Which is the opposite of where I come from, where... Is that why you think you're boring? Because I think you're anything but, but, like, is that where it it comes from? It comes from... I want to say that, like, there are people out there who lead full, rich lives, have been married, have been divorced, have kids, uh, have lost kids, sadly, uh, in the mall or otherwise. Uh, There are jokes. (laughs) I do them. Uh, And so, I, I just... I don't have that. I am... 
I'm growing as a comedian and hopefully as a person. Like I say, hopefully as a person, because like, am I growing as a person? It's really funny. (laughs) It's almost like we both think the other one is, is, is Arnold Schwarzenegger in twins. (laughs) The grass is always twins (laughs) on the other side. (laughs) That's what it is. Come on. Let's talk about sex. All right, let's play a bit that I picked. It is called Older Material from Nick Vatterot's 2014 album, For Amusement Only. It's really good to be. I'm very excited to do my uh, uh, CD here. It's very exciting uh, to do here. I, uh, I uh, love Chicago. This is a beautiful time of year, too. Spring, summer's right around the corner. Winter was brutal. You guys, des- you guys deserve to go out into a beautiful day and come inside and see comedy. You really do, guys. <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm very grateful to get a chance to do this uh, uh, CD, so I really want to utilize this time to work on some material tonight. Uh, I got a big open mic coming up Monday, and I want to be on the ball. <laughs> Don't want to look like a rube. <laughs> so I'll be doing some older material tonight, if that's okay, working on some older stuff. <laughs> so Halloween's coming up. Hello, this time of year, how the leaves are turning, you know. I like hooking up with people on Halloween, that's fun, because you get to pretend you're hooking up with whatever their costume is, you know. Of course, I always hung out with like artsy girls, had very out there costumes. My buddies would be like, hey, Vaderot, who'd you go home with last night? Every dude's fantasy, the concept of wind. Hi, this is Nick Batterot. Um, I'll be doing director's commentary for my stand-up set. What <laughs> you just saw is a joke I like to open my act up with. Sort of a convoluted way to do my Halloween material. And then I go into a weird director's commentary bit, which, as you can see, uh, is causing many people in the audience to be sort of questioning what is happening right now. So to get those people back, I did this next joke, which is uh, a little more of the vein of, of, of classical observational. You ever see somebody looks hot from the back of their head? <laughs> then they turn around, and it's just another back of their head? The joke is very off-putting. <laughs> they are uh, confused and bewildered by it. Others are more sad for having seen it. And uh, not only did I not win some people back with that, uh, I caused many to question their decision to uh, even come to the show at this point. That is so fuck. I had uh, immediate envy for when he brought out the phone. Right. I, I was right? like, I really oh, wish I so thought smart. about it. It's so, so smart. That's so funny. You know what's great about this iPhone generation is that they've, like, the ability, it may, it's made prop humor non-hackish. It's like you can use your phone in really funny, absurd, like, really crazy alternative ways. ways yeah. That are, anyway, he is one of those acts that is alternative. Mm-hmm. And he, genuinely alternative. He's genuinely different than mm-hmm. everyone else out there. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching him in 2008, 2009, just video clips of him online and saying like, oh, this is different. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's yeah. 
different than everyone else out there. I remember seeing uh, his Andy Kaufman award-winning performance. Do you know the Andy Kaufman Awards, the award show uh, named after uh, Andy Kaufman, Mm -hmm. who is dead but might not be dead? Uh, (laughs) That comedian, the one who (laughs) might have tricked the entire world into thinking he's dead. Uh, It's an award show that uh, celebrates the absurd. And I always love the acts that are a part of it. And his act was that he put on these furry monster arms Mm -hmm. that went up to his elbow and nothing else. Uh, He was wearing regular clothes. It wasn't like he was just naked. (laughs) And he did a whole entire act in the cadence of a normal stand-up comedian, like normal in the sense of like observational comedian, Jerry Mm -hmm. Seinfeld, where he's like, Hey, what's the deal with this? What's the deal with that? But he did it as a monster. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) he just owned it for about five minutes and he won the andy kaufman award that year because he was so different and original to him. yeah that's really interesting that's so great and, and it is uh it is it is I, I heard this album and i just went this is trailblazing i i just okay all right i don't even know yeah. Some of the things that are going on here, I, I'm going to have to really give it some thought. Um, and I, I think it's a great example. This is what I was saying last night. I was When I was trying to figure out what I'm going to play out of my library, I went, oh, I Nick Batterot all the way. And then I'm listening to him like meta comedy, comedy about comedy is, is, is like it has to, it's part absurdism, or I should say they just go hand in hand. They can't, mm-hmm. they can't avoid each other. Yeah. Um, and it, it's like, as he, he goes meta right away, he's just like, okay, uh, I'm going to do this silly, stupid joke. I'm going to then comment on it. You know, I pre-recorded it. Yeah. I'm going to comment on the commentary, go back out of it, come right back into it again. Yeah. It's like watching the wizard of Oz in a sense where the wizard is putting this smoke screen out there of this is me, the all powerful wizard of Oz. And then the curtain gets pulled back and the wizard goes, Oh, don't, don't look at me. I don't, I did. I have not keep looking at that giant scary thing over there. Keep looking at the, the thing that you're supposed to pay attention to. But like turning that sideways as if the wizard owns it. Yeah. And it's like, isn't that weird what I just did? Yeah, that yeah, giant yeah. joke over there that I made you look at. Let me talk about it. I am that good of a wizard. Yeah. And like you said earlier, it was a magic trick. That's right. all I'm doing. Right. I'm doing a magic trick. We're all trying to do magic tricks. Yeah. You just have to own it. And if you own it in the level where you are going inside of the joke and going inside of the explanation yeah. and inside of that explanation you get the inception effect and it starts with a kernel of truth that everyone talks about hey this is something that i believe in this is a joke that started from reality and then you make your own world yeah yeah Yeah. well i used to do this joke that i i'm i just started thinking i might bring it back when i first started where i would be like in the middle of my act to be like i'm sorry i i gotta look at my notes i'm sorry and i'd bring out my phone and then I would keep the sound on and then I'd start clicking around and then I would just take a picture of the audience with the flash on and just pretend it didn't happen. So like, it's just like, so it's just like, and then like, I'm like, I think I'm good. Um, See, that's great. So you guys think, yeah. And I was just thinking, but I love that just like weird use of mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like using technology in this way. That's like, he's, he's 
that that is so brilliant it's super it's so brilliant and he's like that like even talk to him he talks like that yeah it's 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 incredible i i had him on my show and i I, because i heard this album and i was like somebody knew him and i was like oh get him please Yeah, yeah and um i just but it was really sad to me because people really enjoyed it but they didn't quite get it do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. he is so he's so meta, it's so absurd, and some people just aren't ready for that. Yeah. There is I wanna say, and this is very weird to say. Yeah. I wanna say that I am so glad that people like Nick Vaderot exist, but I don't want more. Yeah. No, I I, agree <laughs> I want with you. Nick Vaderot. Yeah. I want one or two other people to be absurd yeah it's like when you see it's this is a very different comic but like when you see tr- someone trying to be like bill burr and it's like no there's only one absurdism shouldn't be mainstream yeah. or else it's not absurd right anymore. because the very definition of it is intentionally bizarre and ridiculous behavior yeah. and if everyone's intentionally bizarre and ridiculous it ceases to be that yeah right you're it becomes so right. normal acceptable mm-hmm. acceptable expected that's why when you look at Jerry Seinfeld and it's like his amazing observational comedy, it's like, oh, well, this like this doesn't play anymore. It's like, yeah, because he normalized it so much. He's the reason that it's normalized now. Right. What blows like, my mind is when someone doesn't act like Jerry Seinfeld and mm-hmm. owns it to the point where you're like, oh, that is alternative. That is bizarre. Yeah, yeah. That is absurd. It's almost like when wearing normal clothes got billed and labeled as normcore. <sighs> And you yeah. looked different because you weren't different. Yeah, yeah. That is what that is to me. That is like a next level meta comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, it's mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, s- I love Double Talk. I don't know if you've ever, have you, you've been listening for what, maybe I love an hour? Double Take with Eddie Griffin and Orlando Jones. Also a thing. <laughs> it's a movie. Double Talk. Do you know when you this like. Is all very editable. 19, 1984 <laughs> style. Is that what you're talking about? Somewhat. Where like, I can say one thing and then in the next sentence say the exact opposite and I still make sense. Mm-hmm. It's Do an almost, example, like perform an example. So like what I'm doing right now is I'm talking about double talk, but also like I'm not really talking about double talk. Like I'm talking uh, about a whole group of different, it's kind of like what Trump did to become president where he yeah. would say one thing to one group of people and then the next day say the opposite thing. Mm-hmm. And so someone's quoting him and being like, well, you said this about gun control. And then you also said that about gun control. And he yeah. was like, I didn't say either. But I did say them both. And you're like, what? And he's like, yeah. 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 You know Shaq Stanley? Yeah. He did a bit at the creek where he was like, he was just riffing. And he was just like, Trump's crazy, man. Like, he just, Trump getting the presidency is like when you're on the playground and you have a basketball and the bully steals the ball away. And you're like, give me my ball back. And they're like, what ball? And you're like, oh. That one is like, there's never was a ball. <laughs> yeah, it's like object permanence yeah, almost, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's not established. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, wasn't there a ball? He's making everyone in America feel like they're a baby. That's just like... I believe like, the term is gaslighting. He's, yeah, gaslighting. he's gaslighting America, where he's like, I didn't say that. I gaslight audiences. I am, I am telling people one thing and then giving them another thing. And I think it's very funny when other comics do that. Come on. Let's talk about sex. Uh, there, there was a time I was an intern, an editorial intern at the onion when the onion, the newspaper, the satirical newspaper, that's hysterical. It's based out of Chicago. Now it was in New York city. And I came up here as a 20 year old and I 
sat down every day for eight weeks and I was able to read The Onion before anyone else because I was on the front lines and I it was incredible. It was mm. so great. It was what an a, opportunity. I think it, it was, I can only say incredible. It was an incredible experience and I'm very fortunate to be able to, or it wasn't, or it wasn't. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, I ended up with like a glassware and a mug that said the onion on it. And that was my takeaway. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Um, but they, they, they had this guy, um, who was a very, very friendly, very funny managing editor. And he hired all the interns and he sat me down for coffee one day and he was talking about the onion headlines in general. And he was like, there are only five types of jokes we do in general. Uh, and they are the following. And he listed them off. You're not going to list like, them? I will try my best right now. Uh, one is like a colloquialism, like a thing that everyone says usually. And one word has changed where it's like, President Trump, colon, and then he'll say something. It'll be funny right at the end. Mm -hmm. Then there is the switch, which is if one word is usually the word up, they make it the word down. Mm -hmm. So it. it's like the opposite. Mm -hmm. And then there were three others. Uh, and mm -hmm. so <laughs> it made this kind of like, not because it's a print journalism publication, but like black and whiteness to it. Where it's just like, oh, this is what they do. Mm -hmm. And it is a science. Mm -hmm. And like you can come up with the funniest things in the world, but there's a formula to it. And we don't break the formula. Mm. And if we broke the formula, the magic would be lost. Yeah. And so we have to stick to this. And this is what we're doing. This is our world. These are our jokes. And that is very much in keeping with what people say about creativity in general. John Stewart specifically famously says creativity is limits. It's, it's, it's imposed limits that you push against every joke, every idea, even if it's new and unique has been done in some way. It's mm -hmm. like, there's only what six ways to tell a story. There's like a book out there that's just straight up. Hey, this is what stories are. Mm -hmm. This is what a story is. Yeah. And these are the six ways to tell that story. And so we're limited. We're limited to what we can do. Coming up with something that's fresh and creative, like we were saying earlier, if I just pointed at the audience and I was like, that was a good reaction. Less of a reaction. Yeah. You guys have stopped reacting to me. Oh, you're reacting again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Doing that, someone has probably done something similar to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've even... But it was organic to you, so it's... What I wanted to do at the yeah. time, at that day, at that hour, at that minute. Yeah. And there are only a certain number of jokes. There's the... If you look at my stand-up, if you look at anyone's stand-up, you can break it down and be like, oh, I'm writing the same thing over and over again. Yeah which is like insanity to do the same thing over and over again. That is the definition of insanity. Yeah. And my jokes, do you have jokes? Do you have formulas? Do you know? Um, I have like the organic way I deliver them at first, like just like, cause I'll try to write on stage as much as I can. And then I'll just like listen to them right after I get off stage and like tweak and just like take out fat and then I'll add stuff. And then I'll just kind of, that's when I'll go into the notebook and like bullet form. So, know, so do you have one style of joke? That's it then. What do I have one style of joke? 
Yeah, that's which, what, that's all I'm saying. Formula. I don't wise. think I do jokes. I just do bits. You just do long bits. form bits. So that's the one out of how many ways there are. I don't know, but I have like different structures for a lot of different jokes. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm trying to get to. When I watch stand up comedy, I break it down into the mechanics. If we're on a podcast called Let's Talk About Sets, mm-hmm. can either of you watch stand-up comedy without doing that? Yes. If it's really, really good, I get lost in it. You get yeah. lost in it. Absolutely. If it's really, really good, I, I get lost in the bit. And, then I, and, and that's when I... And I'll, I'll go back and be, God damn it. And I'll, and I'll listen to it again. And it, it's, it has, can, certain comedians can do that to me still. Well, but yeah, I guess you just made a good point. Certain comedians, because there are certain comedians where I listen to them and I'm like, I can hear the mechanics of their jokes while they're performing mm-hmm. them because they're not and others, good. Others do what I call joke conversion, where uh, it is uh, like Louis is the grandmaster of it to me. It, he buries his joke structure in his colloquial speech. And so uh, it becomes so conversational that you don't feel the mechanics of the joke. Which is incredible. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the vanguard of comedy, I think. Hiding it, mm-hmm. hiding it, but still making it funny. Mm-hmm. Still, totally a joke under there. You just don't. You can't see it. That is very difficult. Mm-hmm. But also, so when I'm watching Louis C.K., I am a hundred percent on board with what you're saying. That you can get lost in it. But there's always something in the back of my head where I'm just trying. To oh, me too. I'm trying to, but mm-hmm. I I'll get lost in it. He'll he'll evoke that involuntary laughter response. I am in that moment. I'm seeing what he wants me to see, and and sure, in the back of my mind, I want to. I'm trying to. I'm not though. I'm running the program and it's crashing. But I want to go back to something because I'm dying for this knowledge, which is you're talking about formulas, formulae, and. I want to know what formulae you use. (laughs) (laughs) The way you're doing that word. (laughs) When it comes to writing? Sure. I think that I use probably three out of the six, let's say, joke styles that are out there. Hit me. Because they're what works with what I do on stage. So I'm very presentational. I understand that there's a show going on and I want the audience to understand. I understand that there's a show going (laughs) on. And so if you break it down to its simplest, I do traditional stand-up jokes, Mm -hmm. which are set up and punchline. They can be used for monologue jokes. They can be used for desk bit jokes when you turn on Seth Meyers, when you turn on Fallon, when you turn on any of those shows. I can write those jokes and I do write those jokes for Mm -hmm. myself. You heard the one, there's a... Uh, much earlier in the podcast um, where I say there is a a laundromat in my neighborhood that turns into a wine bar at night (laughs) or what my aunt Karen would call just a regular laundromat. (laughs) You have a setup, you have the, or what my aunt Karen would call as the the middle twist connector. Mm -hmm. And then you have the punchline, which is which recontextualizes what the joke is. Here it is. My, mm-hmm. my aunt's a drinker. That's right. what the joke is. Right. No. Do so, I have an aunt Karen? No. no. Well, but when you do that, but wait, 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 when you do that. So I, I have sat, I have so many times I have put myself in front of the computer and I've said, okay, I'm going to do this and I will make my lists and I will write out the first story and then, and I'll write out the second story and I'll try to identify my connector and I will try to create that. Mm-hmm. And I fail, fail, fail. There are connectors and, that are stock. 
that are just, this will always be a connector. The mm-hmm. word meanwhile is a connector. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's a connector. It will always be a connector. Meanwhile, I was doing this. You can even get the cadence, kind of like the monster bit that Nick Vatterot did to win the Andy Kaufman Award a few years ago. You don't even need to say the joke. I can say the same thing and you can understand just from my cadence and presentation. Oh, that's where you're supposed to laugh. Yeah. Da 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 da. Da da da. Rhythm. Da da. But but I want to go back to this formula thing. Mm-hmm. Um and I want to go back to uh, I want to get in the weeds a little bit if I could. Uh, sure. uh the, the when you're singing and you when you're writing your very very structured jokes. What is that like a lot of it comes to me throughout my day while I'm riding the train, while I'm going grocery shopping, while Mm -hmm. I'm talking with friends Mm -hmm. and I will get a snippet of something that's funny, write it down and then I will work on it at a later date. Uh, sometimes if I just want to work on my standup, I will go through my tweets. Sometimes I will go through my notes and Mm -hmm. I will pick out sentences that I think are funny and I can expand upon even if it's an extra word. So what it sounds like is happening is, your brain is synthesizing it's 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 analyzing two things seeing where the similarities are synthesizing these two ideas and you say okay i have the association now how do i make this peel this association apart add the connector in now i have a joke sometimes i start with the punchline and i right it goes both ways right it goes both ways and the setup is the most difficult part Mm -hmm. how do i make this appealing to people yeah like that's that's honestly one of the most difficult parts of stand-up comedy, the boring setup up right, top. Yeah. Right. That hooks people in and makes people want to go, okay, where are you going with this? Yeah, right. yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. And so I like doing the setup punchline jokes, but I also like exploring and getting outside of the box. So like I also think there are one liners with hard punchlines and one liners with soft punchlines. Yeah. And Go the on. hard punchlines almost have the setup punchline feel, but it's all in one sentence. So if you're going to like jump into it, how do you write a good one liner? You can do the cat joke. I have a cat allergy, building expectations. I'm allergic to cats. That's just, you can say it. Mm-hmm. I have a cat allergy. I'm allergic to cats. It's, what is it? Six words, mm-hmm. seven words, something like that. I can't eat cats. Can't mean. eat cats. That's yeah. it. I'm butchering my own material. Yeah. I was like, I was like, is this how he starts with this, with this uh, restatement I'm of the first part? Yeah. Yeah, right <laughs> so it's a real back and forth <laughs> situation. Um, but then there are other one-liners where it's just a soft ending and like the crowd has to be on board and thinking at mm-hmm. that point. Like okay. I come from a long line of fathers. Yeah. That's a one-liner. It's yeah. a full joke, but yeah. it's not a hard punch at the end. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, how, can you put hard versus soft punch in an, in another way? Can you say that like say it to me like I'm five years old? When you want people to laugh, you wallop them with a punchline, mm-hmm. and it is a wall that they hit. You want people to like know that is where you're supposed to laugh. Uh huh. Soft punchline is it's kind of buried. And you don't exactly see the joke right away unless you're really trying to see the joke. It's a thinker. It's a thinker. It's a thinker. And so you, you're going to give them, and you are really good at this, you give them time to piece it together. You have to or else no one laughs. Right. Mm-hmm. It is almost the right. and wait for applause. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you think about this. I'm going to let you, it's there for you. You have to do a little work now, audience. <laughs> I think that's one of the most challenging. So hard 
as a stand-up to wait, to be able to pause, live in the moment, and say, no, this is funny. Mm-hmm. They just need a second to catch up to my mind. Mm-hmm. I've done the work. My will is stronger than yours. You're going to laugh at this. I promise you. And yeah. that's being in control and owning the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being the focal mm-hmm. point. If there's a heckler who's honestly heckling me, I will get quiet because there is nothing more powerful than not saying anything. I want to just like be quiet for a while (laughs) right in that moment. That is awesome. I mean, do you have anything else to say on this formulas topic? Cause I think, uh, sure. There's the dialogue, the, this person said that person mm-hmm. and this person said that. And mm-hmm. I said this and they said that you're really that. breaking it down. Mm-hmm. It really is. You can look at it because like I've had conversations with friends who are comedians and they say, I just watched John Mulaney special. I just watched Sarah Silverman special and I can figure them out. Mm-hmm. And by and large, I can figure out where the punchlines are coming from. Mm-hmm. What makes a joke so funny. Yep. And yep. It's like fun in a different way. You know where I get like, I I can too. And I, and I love it. I, I love when I get lost. I love when I can't figure it out. When like, for example, Maria Bamford is a, is a mystery to me. I I struggle with her. I want to do an entire episode of Maria Bamford just because she's so, I, I don't quite see the moves. I feel like there's like there's a piece of the matrix I just part can't. of that is just how fast how rapid fire because I bet if you broke it down you'd feel the structure more. maybe you're right because she she does it she's like she's like my friend wants me to go horseback riding and then it's just act out with a person talking mm-hmm. during house that's not actually that craziest formula to make someone laugh mm-hmm. I like, didn't even see this happen live but a friend of mine went to see Mike Lee in black. He's very funny. He's a great comedian and he has children and his children know that he's a stand-up comedian. And when they were young, several years ago, he apparently said, my kids, they don't understand. They always say, daddy, daddy, tell us a joke. And he can't because he doesn't have jokes. He just says sentences and then says something wacky afterward. Mm -hmm. And those aren't jokes, but they are jokes when it comes to stand-up. Right. Like I, I am, and I don't want to say this because it sounds insane but i am as absurd or weird or different my my act is i am a classic 1940s cat skill comedian in the present day yeah yeah Yeah. i am the guy who goes on stage i go hey i'm gonna tell you jokes here comes a joke thanks for coming to the mountains it's a lovely resort we have here (laughs) tip your weight staff the shrimp cocktail is 9.99 come on let's talk about sex so uh, we've one more bit to play, and then let's wrap it up. I chose this bit. As I, I think you'll like it because it's two bits. It's one that is kind of like a short, short, absurdist joke, and then it follows by a long form joke and the setup to the absurdity. Of do you want to just second- tell? Do you want us to do it? No, I thought. Well, I'll just. I just wanted to say why it's like because you might not actually think it's absurd. You do it first, then we'll. Yeah, 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 yeah. You do it, and then we'll hear him do it. Shut way it worse. down. That's my Roy Scoble. That's all right. Ready? Yeah. Hey, don't ever blow someone a French kiss. <laughs> they are not going to want to f you in the a. I have struck out quite a few times. I have struck out. Got to do that. <laughs> Do you guys think that little people are really good at mini golf? (laughs) I think that's funny. (laughs) It's a very funny visual. 
I had a little person come up to me once and say, I find that offensive. And I said, picture yourself <laughs> playing mini golf with a driver, swinging, full swing, and the ball still only goes halfway. <laughs> if you don't laugh at that, well, then fuck you. <laughs> and I beat the shit out of him. <laughs> Fucked him up. You don't step to me. <laughs> girlfriend uh, puts this uh, lotion on her face when it's time to go to bed. I think a lot of women do this. They're like, hey, hon, you want to go to bed? And you're like, yeah, I do want to go to bed. And they're like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the bathroom for roughly 45 minutes and do science experiments. (laughs) You're going to hear a lot of clittering and clattering. Those are just my beakers and my Bunsen burners and my Widgley Publets and my Pookity Pops. (laughs) Guys love going to bed. It's not even about sex. Bed's my favorite place to be. I don't care what happens when we're there. Hey, you want to go to bed? Yes, I do. I'm currently in bed. I didn't brush my teeth or even put on pajamas. I even have my tennis shoes on. This is my favorite place ever. Let's just go to sleep. She's in the bathroom. Don't fall asleep till I get back out here. Okay. 45 minutes left alone with my thoughts. We don't have a TV in the bedroom. We're not those people. I asked her, why do you do that? What is that lotion? You put it on your face? She's like, oh, it's good for your skin. It's healthy, keeps you looking younger. Found out two weeks ago, that's the lotion I've been jerking off with. (laughs) I got a six-year-old's dick right now. (laughs) She's not happy. That stuff's expensive. Tell you what, my dick tastes huge, though. (laughs) Yeah, it tastes huge. Stay with me. I'm not saying it is huge. I'm saying it tastes huge. Ladies, let's be honest. When you're going down on a guy, what do you want? You want something that's big? Or do you want something that's big on flavor? (laughs) Mesquite barbecue, y'all. Mesquite motherfucking barbecue. Rub that shit on my dick. Stings when it gets in the hole. And that's where the PSA starts. If you're gonna jerk off with barbecue sauce, guys, know the level of tanginess you're working with. Sweet and sour, you can handle that. Mild, sure. I want some people to go home tonight. I think he really does jerk off with barbecue sauce. Well, fuck you, Caleb. That, yeah, I just love it. <laughs> it's so funny and yeah, so absurd. Very absurd. Wow. But also absurd but palatable to the average person. Yeah, he opens it with like a very like, this is a scenario everyone in a relationship mm-hmm. deals with. And then it just goes in this bizarre direction. I think a lot of what he just said probably was written in smaller chunks. Yes. And then he mm-hmm. grouped it together in a way that made it seem like it was all conceived at the same time. Yes. And like, you can tell at certain points, if you're really paying attention to it, like the, 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 the jump where he goes from the lotion that makes you younger Mm -hmm. and then starts doing dick jokes off of that. Mm Mm-hmm. That was the bridge mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, yeah. He probably had an aha moment when he was looking at all of his jokes and went, I can put them back to back and that works perfectly yeah. because my girlfriend puts 
stuff on her face before bed and the lotion bit I already wrote. I can put yeah. that there. And they were like, that's perfect. That makes it seem seamless, right. which makes right. the I set. Also, he's one of those guys that just sounds like so much of his material that he does on specials and Conan and shit just feels like it was riffed so weird. Like he just did a weird riff and it happened to work. And he's like, oh, I know a bit that would go well with this. Like, like what you're saying, but also just like. Like big on flavor, like you want a dick, a dick that's big or that's so big on flavor. Also, I just want one of these acts, if it's Rory Scovel or someone else, to listen to this podcast and then just respond with like "wrong" in all caps <laughs> like on Twitter. <laughs> that's not how I did it. Leave it's me just, be. Uh, I wrote it in a fit of creativity. The muse arrived, <laughs> like, and I sat down and wrote it all. I didn't even scratch anything out. No, I just immediately put it down on paper, and it was. As and is. I, I said, didn't even go heard, to an open I said, mic. good. Track <laughs> seven him, is done. I've heard him talk about this album and, uh, specifically, and he said like he wrote, he did, he wanted to record this album because half of the bits aren't finished, and because he wanted the people that he- heard those unfinished bits when they come to see him live see the finished <laughs> version. He was bold. like, it's yeah, it's super bold, and that yeah, it's it's great. There are a couple uh, moves he makes in here that I really really love. First of all, w- wiggly poos, piggly pops. I really. Yeah. <laughs> just adore when um when when comedians and this is very particularly absurdist comedy where they just go off and they play with sounds Mm -hmm. that sound like words and they're not words but you know what they're doing word it's like a a syllable vomit or something Mm -hmm. no wiggly poos piggly pops and then um, one of the jokes he used, uh, joke structures he used a couple times in this was uh you would want this but it's clearly something no one would want uh, do you know what I'm saying? The uh, Noel Fielding. Yep. This exactly. is what kids say. Mm-hmm. Kids say oblong. No one else says oblong. Mm-hmm. If you're an adult saying oblong, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. Right, it's right. the it's the mind control. <laughs> right. Or like it's this thing right at the beginning where he says, um, "Don't blow someone a French kiss." Well, first of all, yeah, we're just, already into into something really absurd. I'd love yeah. to see him do that. <laughs> blow a French kiss. But then he goes, "People, no one will want to fuck you in the a, f you in the a." He yeah. says, and which then all of a sudden you're like, "Wait a minute, who's who's begging to be?" Uh, it's just a funny yeah. thing to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember when I was taking class at the UCB, I took the sketch program. And a lot of my early sketches, there were issues that the teachers had because I didn't have justifications. Mm-hmm. It wasn't yep. a... They're not going to take that. Hey, how come this person wants to do this thing? And I'm like, I don't know. It's funny. Mm-hmm. And like people were reacting and saying like, yeah, this is a funny sketch. Like right. making yeah. other students right. laugh. Mm-hmm. But the teachers it's were not how they do like... It. This isn't right. It's not how they yeah. do it. And like people have said, you have to learn the rules before you can bend or break them. And... That's where I kind of run into issues because, like, I don't want to be the comic who says, Hi, my name's Brandon. This is what's funny about my name. I look like this. That is the classic day one. Uh-huh. You are just starting out. Mm-hmm. But you also kind of have to do you that. You do. Yeah. You still, you know, I think maybe this just popped into my head. You still say hi when you see people. You do. It's pretty hack to say hello. Very. Okay. 
but you do it because there's a natural ebb and flow to conversations, to greeting people, to saying goodbye, so on and so forth. And when you don't engage in those conventions, it's off-putting to people. And so you're digging yourself a hole right away, especially with people who are very much expecting a certain convention. So yes, you're catering to something that you don't necessarily want to because you don't want to be pigeonholed, but giving them a that inch at the beginning, yeah. it's not that big of a deal because you're going to go take them where you want to anyway. Yeah, yeah. There is a moment on... Last Comic Standing from a few seasons ago. Where you seem like you'd be on Last Comic Standing. Mm-hmm. I have not been on Last Comic I know you're not, but you have the kind of demeanor of a comic that I'd see on Last Comic Standing. I don't know if that's a compliment. Yeah, it is a compliment. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the way that like Doug Benson was on it. Oh, like, for sure. That's kind of like... Um, Doug Benson, friend of the show, of course. Um, Last Comic <laughs> Standing a couple years ago. Do you guys remember when Ben Kronberg was on it? Yeah, and he yelled at Roseanne. Roseanne yelled at him. Oh, and what? the reason why everyone was given, I want to say, two minutes to perform in front of the judges in a packed theater, mm. and he went out. And this is a joke I've seen him do in person. He, He's so funny. He by goes the way. out. He doesn't even look at the audience. He kind of like looks at his phone, checks his watch, fiddles a bit for a good thirty seconds, and then he like, oh, oh there's an audience here, that kind of like a, a mm-hmm. reaction. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, Oh, right. Like you start work immediately when you get to your job. <laughs> <laughs> and like, That's he a got great a great job. reaction from the crowd. But then when it came to the judges, Roseanne Barr was very against him yeah, and yeah. what he did. And I believe she said, fuck you, Ben. And then he took that and he, think trended like worldwide on twitter he started selling merch maybe off of it that just said fuck you ben because it was almost iconic for comedians Uh where it's like oh i'm gonna get criticized by established great comedians Uh and not everyone is gonna like me and i'm just gonna own my act that's so cool and like Rory Scovel's one of those people that just owns his act i don't want to put any words in i thought the quote was like she said, you know, you're just coming out here and you're not very professional. You got your notepad. And then he's just like, well, that's because I'm not trying to be an unoriginal hack or something like that to the effect of like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you have like a formula and it's boring and I want to do something that's more interesting than that. That's what I. It's about not being boring. It's and about not being boring. I'm it's someone exactly who's very right. boring. But you've uh, cornered but I'm that not boring. <laughs> you know, you know what you know what's funny about that is that it's uh, people do this. People uh they look at their weakness, the thing that they're afraid they're afraid that they really are and that's that's like sort of core to them. At some point they go, "Oh, this is a major flaw in 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 my in my makeup." And then they 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 spend the rest of their life compensating for that perceived flaw and it becomes a towering strength and the hilarious part of it is that at the end of it then the 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 more they do the thing that compensates the more they feel like it's a trick and so even when you get the validation Mm. that you're not boring you still go yeah but i tricked you it's i was just i i tweeted something the other day that was it was a picture of sean penn like helping people like like refugees escape somewhere and it was like very Sean Penn thing. Yeah. Do. Yeah. Well, it was like, it was like, do you think any, any time Sean, Ten, Sean Penn is doing one of these humanitarian effort things and going the extra mile, he's thinking in the back of head, back of his head. Yeah. This makes up for Madonna, right? <laughs> <laughs> See, I am a good person. See, he, I, he's really on I'm, a 
like crusade to be a good person. And it's just like, you did tie her up and beat her. Yeah. Like, so, this is all news to me about Madonna and Sean Penn. And I'm yeah. like, I didn't know what that punchline uh, meant. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm just like, it made me oh, feel yeah. really bad for Madonna. So, so I guess like, uh, to your point, and this is probably a good place to, to, to wrap it up. It is just that a like, Sean Penn it, beating Madonna. Is yeah. that, is that, is that, that's what? your Man, version. Good Come is after it, us, dude. Is that, is that, that is your version of not being Sean Penn of not being uh, of him compensating for the flaw of I guess beating Madonna or, or women in general. You, but yours is is this idea that you are somehow boring and you are anything but. Yeah. And 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 yet and yet it's still it comes from comedy often comes from a dark place a, perce- a perception of our own flaws. I think my favorite thing when it comes to performance and performance art is not admitting what your art is or mm. what you're trying to accomplish. And I think it's great when you can make other people think when they see you, okay, this is challenging. This is making me see this person in a certain light. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards you turn to the person to your right and you say, what do you think? And Mm -hmm. that person has a wildly different idea. Right. But you watch the same thing. And like, it's great. So like my website, the follow Brandon Scottwolf.com, that website has been perceived on a multitude of different levels. I'm sure. And people want to say, was this an attack on Scientology? Oh, that's so funny. Is this an attack on Christianity? Uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you a cult leader? What is religion? What can religion be? Yeah. And people have all these questions. And I just put something out there and you decide. Yeah. Make up your own mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's coming from a person who's very indecisive. Yeah, yeah. I'm a person who doesn't make up my own mind. Mm-hmm. I'm a person who asks a million different people, is this funny? And I do that by going on stage and saying, here are my jokes. They're just jokes. I'm me. I don't want to tell you my name and make a joke off of that. I want to talk about how... I don't right now have a nine to five job. And then I say something funny about not having a nine to five job. And I think it's very important to have that step back Mm -hmm. and realize everyone's going to see the world in a different way. What I just said sounds very weighty, but also if you break it down, I didn't say anything. Right. Right. (laughs) Instead, Everybody has their own perspective. That's the double talk that I love. Right. Right. And, and I, and I would just say, I was bored through the whole thing. I, w- I just, I would this so a horrible yeah. time for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That was great. Uh, thank you so much, Brandon. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Brandon. Thank you for having me. I had You're a wonderful best, time. Man. You're such a good dude. Oh, did your, did your kid, did your nephew or niece like those toys that you sent? We went shopping for his nephew and niece's toys. Just want to know. Uh, they, they enjoyed them. They're boys. Uh, you're not Thank good you at so this. much for adding more to my editing job. I really <laughs> always appreciate it. Please leave uh, that in. Yeah. Shout out to my nephews, Cole Carson. You guys are All right. very young and can't listen to this. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks, of course, to Brendan Scott Wilf. And thank you to Nick Swartzen and Nick Vatterot and Rory Scoville. And who was the other one that we played? Noel Fielding. Noel Fielding. And of course, as always, a big thanks to Salt and Peppa for not suing us yet for fairly using, for wildly fairly using their song. Sets. Let's talk about 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 sets.